Recently, Supreme Master Ching Hai graciously allowed our association members to gather for an international seminar. It was a joyous occasion as Master and Disciples reunited to meditate and pray for peace. During her visit to meet with our association members, Supreme Master Ching Hai also spoke of the teachings of past masters and answered the spiritual questions of fellow initiates. Throughout the ages, Compassionate, enlightened masters have urged people to surrender to the greater universal power by seeking the divine within from which all other goodness and happiness follows. This message was echoed again in the stories about Mullah Nasruddin, which Supreme Master Ching Hai shared with our association members during the international gathering on December 19, 2008. At one time in his life, every morning, Nasruddin prayed, you know, fervently to God. Nasruddin uh, keep praying every morning very loud, you know, to the Lord, saying that, Lord, Lord, please give me a thousand dollars. Yes. If you just give me $999 and one dollar short, I won't take it. <laughs> Every day he pray like that. He has a neighbor who is a Jew. So every day he heard him saying the same stuff again and again. He was very curious. So he was thinking, okay, I'm going to put $999 in a bag see how he reacts, because he keeps saying, if just one dollar short, I won't take it. What kind of prayer funny guy? All right. So he put $999 in a bag. You know, how wow, uh, Nasruddin was praying. He, he threw that bag of $999 through the chimney. 
And then he put his ear <laughs> next to the wall and listened. I'm wondering what, what you know, Nasruddin would do. First, Nasruddin thanked the Lord and count money, yeah, <laughs> reverently. And then uh, he saw that it's only $999. Well, he put it in his pocket. <laughs> and then he looked up to heaven and said, Never mind, the Lord has already graciously given me $999. I am sure he will make up the rest. <laughs> one more dollar won't make any difference to him. Okay, maybe the Lord is short one dollar today. <laughs> Maybe he didn't go to the bank. <laughs> All right. Or maybe the bank even, you know, give him one dollar short, who knows? So he didn't care so much. Oh, so the Jews was very, very astonished and, uh, you know, nervous, you know, as the turn of event. He, he didn't expect this yet, so he waited and waited until the sun comes out and go run over to uh, Nazaruddin's house and knock fervently, you know. Please, give me back that money. That's my money. Give it back, give it back. It was me. It was my money. <laughs> so <laughs> oh, he was crying, crying, crying. So the Nazaruddin asked him, Did you ever put money into my hand? Did I ever ask you for money? What are you talking about? <laughs> he knew all the while, but he just teasing the Jew. So the Jews not saying, but crying. It was I. <laughs> it was I who threw that money down in the back through the chimney. Please, give it back to me. Because every morning I heard you praying the same prayer and prayer again. So I was thinking, I put the money to see whether you keep your word with the Lord. And then Nasruddin laughed, you know, hysterically, and said, A fine cock and bow story. You believe it yourself? <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> that a Jew would, for an experiment, throw such a large sum of money down my chimney to a Muslim? Huh? <laughs> no. <laughs> so he said very calmly, God has given it to me and I'm going to keep it because he has answered my prayers. Oh, the Jew. Wow, getting more panic now. <laughs> Seeing that <laughs> he could never argue with this <laughs> Muslim. <laughs> so he said, okay, we have to go to the court. That's it. Nasruddin said, Okay, no problem, I go with you. But I cannot go on foot. It takes too long and I'm tired. So the Jew worried that he's trying to make excuse to delay and spending the money. So he went out and bought a donkey and gave it to Nasruddin. <laughs> Not only money, now he lost the donkey. <laughs> and then Nasruddin say, Yeah, very good, thank you, but I have appearance to keep, you know? I cannot go to the court with my tattered clothes like this, an old clock of mine, uh, so I need some uh, nice clothes. So <laughs> the Jew <laughs> panic. <laughs> 
stricken and hurried to get his money back, went out, buy beautiful clothes. He said he even need a coat because it's so cold, so cold outside. So he went out and buy and gave it to Nasruddin because he doesn't want to uh, delay anymore the journey to the courthouse, you know. Okay. Okay, he mounted on the mole and went to the courthouse together with the Jew next door. And when uh, the church asked them what they wanted, the Jew said that, Your Honor, this man owns me $999 and refuses to pay. So the church turned to Nasruddin, the master, and asked, And you, what have you to say? Is that true? So Nasruddin, the mullah, said, Ask him, please, if he has ever given me a penny in my hand. So the Jew then told his whole story, at which, you know, the mullah, I mean the, the teacher, laughed very loud and said, Your Honor, please, this man is my neighbor. He's probably heard me counting my money. The Lord has indeed given me much, and he is able to give me a thousand times more. Uh, as for this Jew, he would rather die than give a penny to a Mohammedan. <laughs> uh, Your Honor, he wants to swindle my money. Hmm. I should not be at all surprised that if you were to ask him uh, about the mool I was riding, he would say that belonged to him also. <laughs> so the Jew was... Uh, uh, frightened, you know, that he might lose the mule or so. He said, yes, yes, honor, the mule belonged to me. That's mine. <laughs> it was because you would not come to the court on foot that I got it for you. And now the church began to feel that the Jews are a little bit kaput in his head. <laughs> yes. So the, the mullah has noticed the attitude of the church begins uh, uh, smiling and say. Yeah, he will tell you also that the coat I'm wearing on my back is also his, your honor. So, of course, the Jew lost all the coolness because he worried, you know, and he said, Of course, it's mine for a coat. Of course, it's mine too. The, the church was very indignant now and lost all belief <laughs> in the Jew. <laughs> so he was, uh, you know, scolding him. Say, you not only try to rob the poor <laughs> Muslim <laughs> of his property, uh, a man who is so universally respected and such a decent man as he is, yes, and now you even dare to treat our court with contempt. <laughs> Enough, you go home now, yeah, out. <laughs> so they throw the Jew out of the court. The mullah went home in <laughs> grandeur, you know, riding the mule and wearing still the coat. When he arrived, <laughs> he sent for the Jew next door, who sat there crying <laughs> in despair. <laughs> so uh, Nasruddin gave him all his property back, and having made him happy, <laughs> he gave him uh, some advice as well. Never must be a tringar and a devotee like himself. 
and not to treat God's servant with disrespect. God's servant means Mullah, eh? Nasruddin, because he called himself the servant of God. The Jew, after <laughs> almost lost his soul to this lesson <laughs> of a promise, you know, <laughs> heaven and earth, he would never mess with a Muslim again. <laughs> And not just any Muslim even, mess with Nasruddin, <laughs> the mullah, uh, who's famous for all the wit, you know, and, <laughs> and the intelligence. Why does the, uh, the mullah do this? Anybody knows? Yeah. Wahrscheinlich wollte er sagen, wollte damit zeigen, dass er sich nicht einmischen soll in Sachen, die ihn nichts angehen. Yeah, that's true. He knew that the Jew was always nosy. <laughs> Instead of praying to God himself, he always knows to the mullah's business because the mullah is famous, yeah? Respected, and he's probably some disciples and they always come to see him. So uh, <laughs> the Jew feeling maybe a little curious and also maybe jealous, huh? So he always eaves dropping here next door see what's going on all the time. Nasrus didn't want to teach the Jews like mind your own business, yeah? Pray to your own God. <laughs> That's why he did such a peculiar prayer, you know. You please give me one thousand dollars. If just one dollar less I won't take it. Because he couldn't catch the Jew that that the nosing unto his business, so he has to do this <laughs> in order to catch him, you know. Otherwise, he would never can prove it that the Jew was always nosing into his <laughs> email to God, you know. <laughs> mm, in these stories, might be a Jew, but it could be anyone else. You know what I mean? Yeah. Instead of minding your own business. Uh, progressing your own uh, spiritual practice and uh, uh, polishing your uh, moral standard or virtues and beauty. You're always nosing into somebody else's stuff. Yeah. If, uh, if you are a Jew, then you pray huh? and you read the Torah. <laughs> if you're a Hindu, then you read the Vedas yeah? and you pray to Vishnu Brahma. For example, huh? if you're Christian, you pray to Jesus. <laughs> you don't look <laughs> what the Muslim is praying to and what he is praying about. For example, or vice versa, the Muslim shouldn't know into <laughs> a Christian's business and see what he's praying. Yeah. We all pray the same anyway. Huh? Muslim, Jews, Christian, no, we all pray the same. Nah? Give us daily <laughs> our bread, <laughs> please. <laughs> it's not just about the bread, but you know, we always pray for protection in our life, yeah, our family, our children, our business, you know, everything that concerning us daily, yeah? And uh, it's okay if we pray for bread because we, we need to be fed before we, we can pray again. <laughs> How can a faithful pray when his stomach is empty, you know, and uh, growling, you know, louder than his prayers, yeah? <laughs> he might drop dead before God even heard him. 
So make sure the bread is there first. <laughs> and then protect us from temptation. And then forgive our debt first. <laughs> and then, then we forgive our debtor. You know, it's like a business exchange. You do it first, then I do it also. <laughs> but maybe God forgive uh, you thousand times and you forgive uh, the debtor only one time. Now we humans are funny, you know. <laughs> very, very funny, yes. <laughs> so you see, this is the typical, you know. Yes. We don't pray to God in our spare time when we should pray, but we want to make trouble or meddle with other people's religious faith or, you know, their business or their innermost feeling. We also want to know. <laughs> because mostly the prayers, it is the same, but in some way sometimes the prayers of a person is very, very intimate to him. It's private, yeah? Yes. Because maybe you have problem with your family and you pray to God, but you don't want the neighbors to know, right? Yes, you don't want to, to broadcast it to everybody. But nevertheless, the neighbor have some earphone or email connection, <laughs> and he, uh, you know, look into your private email to God. Uh. Now you see, even if he knows into the neighbors and Nasruddin's house and see that Nasruddin is praying, then that should be reminding to him to also go back into his heart and pray to God. But no, <laughs> he just sit there <laughs> and listening, you know, eavesdropping, stealthily uh, listening to the neighbor, you know, all the way from A to Z from beginning to the end of his prayer, and not even go and pray himself. Even seeing another person pray, we should be reminded that, ah, I also should go to pray, right? He prayed Muslim God, I pray Jewish God. If we don't believe that the God, the Muslim God is the same like the Jewish God or Christian God, then we should go and pray to our God instead of listening to his God, right? But no. Just stay there <laughs> and messing up with people's business. So Nasruddin did the right thing to teach him <laughs> a very good lesson <laughs> and a very scary lesson that was <laughs> a very expensive lesson. Yeah, It could have been very expensive. Luckily, Nasruddin was a very honest person. Yes, of course. Yeah? He's a God-believer and he's honest. Eh? He did not mean to cheat the Jew at all. Otherwise, he could have kept the money, legally even. Yeah, He did not cheat the Jew at all. Even if he kept the money, he's not guilty at all. Yeah, It was the Jew who dropped it through his chimney during his prayer's time. And of course, he has all the right to believe that God has given it to him. Yeah, <laughs> So even the court already okay with it. So he has all the legal rights and even moral rights <laughs> to take the whole money and the mool and the coat as well. But he didn't do it. Yes, He did that just to teach this nosy guy a lesson. You see, in this case, even though uh, you, we say he's a Jew, but he's not a true Jew, right? No, he's not a Jew. 
because if he's a real Jew, he won't do this to his neighbor anyway. He won't go and nose into people's business. He won't, you know, throw money down like that just to play with the poor guy. So you cannot say he's a Jew anymore in any case, even though he says that he's a Jew. Or maybe officially he's a Jew, but he's not. He's not a Jew in his heart. What is a Christian? Huh? The person who walked the way of Christ. What is a Muslim? Hmm? The person who follows the teaching of Prophet Muhammad, right? The same with every other religion. If we do not practice what the Master taught in our religious scripture, then we are nobody. <laughs> we are the one who have been taught in that kind of uh, you know concept, and we are given the Bible, for example, or the Buddhist scripture, or maybe even the or the Muslim Quran. We have access to these holy teaching because we've been born into the Muslim denomination family or Christian family or Buddhist family, Hindu family. So we cannot uh, say to anybody that we don't know. We should know. We should learn and we should take advantage that uh, been given to us that we should know our religion, right? But we don't. And we should never say that we are Muslim or Buddhist or Hindu or Christian if we don't know anything about our scripture, or if we don't know very well, or if we don't understand very well. So, in that case, you know, that's why I say this man is not a Jew at all. Yeah? <laughs> he degrades the Jewish faith, he degrades the other Jew, Jew fellow, yeah? because he doesn't do what the Jews should do. So uh, what I mean is, uh, if we say we're Christian and we're doing things that is very unchristian, then we're really making a shame of Christian. Yeah, if we're Buddhist and we do things that's very un-Buddhist, then we are really ashamed of that uh, Buddhist uh, religious, uh, as you say, denomination. <laughs> so no matter what denomination <laughs> that we belong to, <laughs> we should, you know, be a good one. I love you very much, and I'm very happy that uh, even though I haven't been in Europe all this time, I was always in Taiwan or America, even then you are still practicing, and that's very good. That means you are sincere, you're very sincere. You love me because of my teaching. My teaching appeals to you. So. If my teaching appeals to you, that means at least you're up to it. Good level, that's what it means. Anyway, I'm very touched with your devotion and diligence. So you've been growing all by yourself. There are a couple of things that I <laughs> want to remind you. Everywhere you go, I want you to represent me like 
you wouldn't do what I wouldn't do. And you treat everyone as you would like to be treated. I mean, you wouldn't kill people, that I know. You're very good. You're vegetarian, that I know. You keep the five precepts, I know that, and that's very good. And you meditate, and it's very good. But there are some common sense we have to consider. Be a good man or person, even in spiritual practice, because that's the way we should be. Not because masters say that. You, my representative, you do what you think master would do in a proper way, even here or anywhere. Whatever you do bad, you cannot get anything good out of it. Can you? Huh? You won't get nothing being selfish. We only get blessing when we are selfless and noble and consider others before ourselves. Treat everyone similarly, always in a good manner, consideration, love, respect. You like to be a good manner, noble, elegant, pretty? Beauty doesn't always come from the face or the body. Beauty from inside, there are two kinds of beauty. The beauty from inside is always everlasting and always endearing to everybody. So you see all the masters, especially in India or Taiwan or Chinese the old time, they have bare all over, they don't shave, they don't wash, their hair long like a hippie, and their bare are up to their feet. And they're wearing not too much clothes, or don't wear at all, or wear very shabby clothes or anything. They don't look like the model that lived in Monaco or something like that, no. But people still flock to their feet and love them, adore them, and die for them even, if they have to. During Prophet Muhammad time, people had war with whoever in the authority or the religious establishment of that time, because some people were willing to die for the Prophet, and they do it in defense, not because they wanted war. Least of all, the Prophet had never told them to go on war with anybody. But sometimes they want to defend for their children, or their brothers and sisters, their family, when other people like religious zealous or authority figures go and harass them or try to kill them, then they try their best to defend. And in the defense, maybe both sides get hurt, or one side get hurt, or they will die. Not that the Prophet expect them to die for him, or not that he has ever ordered anybody to go out and fight in the war. Just thing happened naturally. So what I mean is, we have to be beautiful inside out. I want you to be beautiful everywhere and anytime. So everywhere you go, people will have respect for you. And then whatever you say will have effect. People will listen. If you are acting like uh, anybody else, no matter what kind of good teaching you tell, <laughs> I don't think people even want to listen. Correct? Yes. So, we eat two times a day, is it enough or too much or too little? We had soup today. You get soup today only? No, not only soup. I met a person who doesn't eat much. Sometimes she says he has to eat to sleep. And sometimes it's boring in this world. If you don't sleep, you don't eat. What else to do? <laughs> That's the thing. We have enough food to eat actually. You're not taking food away from anyone, it's just that 
some eat too much and the meat consumption is the worst. Meat consumption is the one that takes away all things, water, cereals, and the vegetable protein, 90% of it. So it's taken away a lot of the world resource. Water, 70% of it. So even if we don't shower, we don't brush teeth, it's amount to nothing. When they don't stop eating meat, we're going to damage this planet. The resource will be running out. It's already running out. And also a lot of people stop piling their food also because they worry about the climate change. But before that, the food is already short. I am with uh, 62 million people hungry worldwide this year alone because of meat diet, because all the food are fed to the animals, the resource and the land and everything. I can never talk enough about that. It is ridiculous that somebody eats so much and somebody eats little. It's not like if they eat meat and everything healthy and good and happy for them and they could be uh, enjoying forever. It's not. If they keep eating like that, they will also be gone. If the earth gone, finally no more resource, nothing else to eat them. Some of the diseases related to meat consumption and or production. Swine flu. Cured meats and fish increase leukemia risk in children. Antibiotic-resistant superbug infections from a strain of Staphylococcus aureus, blue tongue disease. E. coli. Salmonella. Bird flu. Mad cow disease or Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease, 90% of the population at risk. Pigs disease or PMWS. Listeriosis, shellfish poisoning, preeclampsia, Campylobacter, Clostridium difficile, diseases hidden in healthy appearing livestock. Some of the costs of meat eating. Infertility. Eating just one serving of meat per day increases the risk of women's infertility by 32%, with additional meat consumption increasing the risk. Heart disease. Over 17 million lives lost globally each year. Cost of cardiovascular disease is at least 1 trillion US dollars a year. Cancer. Over 1 million new colon cancer patients diagnosed each year. More than 600,000 colon cancer related mortalities annually. In the United States alone, colon cancer treatment costs about 6.5 billion US dollars. Millions of people are newly diagnosed with other meat related cancers every year. Diabetes. 246 million people are affected worldwide. An estimated 174 billion US dollars spent each year on treatment in just the United States. Obesity. Worldwide, 1.6 billion adults are overweight, with 400 million more who are obese. Costs 93 billion US dollars each year for medical expenses in the United States alone. At least 2.6 million people die annually from problems related to being overweight or obese. Environmental. Use up to 70% of clean water. Pollute most of the water bodies. Deforest the lungs of the earth. Uses up to 43% of the world's cereal. Uses up to 85% of the world's soy. Cause world hunger and wars. 80% cause of global warming. Plus more.
some of the costs of milk consumption. Bacterial microbes, pesticides and enzymes found in cheese derived from the inner stomach linings of other animals. Up to 80% of the calories in cheese are from pure fat. Breast, prostate and testicular cancer from hormones present in milk. Hysteria and Crohn's disease. Hormones and saturated fat leads to osteoporosis, obesity, diabetes and heart disease. Linked to higher incidences of multiple sclerosis. Classified as a major allergen. Lactose intolerance. Plus more. So we all have to be patient. And good manner. <laughs> if you see neighbor or not, they will just smile. <laughs> Bonjour. <laughs> Hello. Guten Tag. Good day, Moit. <laughs> good day. Have you just come here today? <laughs> you come today, but it's all right. You come today, Mike? Yes, it's Australian accent. Just meditate a lot, and everywhere is beautiful. And you're beautiful. I have a little question. When uh, we are talking about uh, soya, uh, like alternative of uh, meat, the first question, is the soy is uh, gene modified. People are afraid of it. What uh, we can answer? Tell them to sign a petition and ask the government to stop the genetic modifying food. There's a law already. I've seen on TV that they forbid it in Europe. They are considering it now even, but I'm not sure. I hope they don't do it. If you don't like it, you tell with the government. Otherwise, the government also doesn't know what you want. So everything has to be done through the people is better. Huh? Vous allez bien? Tout va bien? Bien manger? Bien dormir? Bien méditer? I read many before I pick some for you. One is concerning a servant who loved his prayers, or another one is about two kinds of intelligence. Which one you like? Okay, all right. If we have time, we do that. All right. So, what do we read first now? Servant or intelligence? <laughs> yes, there was a story about Nasruddin, the funny saint of uh, the Sufis. Uh, one time he was with the king in the royal court, and the king asked him, if you have to choose between money and virtue, what would you choose, Nasruddin? Nasruddin said, I choose money, Your Majesty. So the king said, Oh, I'm very, very disappointed with you. Because everybody would have chosen virtues. Everybody would know that virtue is the best for you. And you, of all the people, choose money? <laughs> he was very indignant. So Nasruddin asked the king, And you, Your Majesty, what would you choose? The king said, of course I choose virtue. 
So Nasruddin said, that's correct, Your Majesty. We all choose what we don't have. (laughs) (laughs) Nasruddin is very poor, everybody knows. He has only one donkey, and sometimes the donkey doesn't even work <laughs> because he has nothing to eat. So it, the donkey sometimes went on strike, you know, even. <laughs> so <laughs> he couldn't even afford a camel or a horse. And we make fun of him because he rides around on donkey. So, of course, he's poor, no? So he needs money. So if he has to choose between a virtue, which he has plenty already, and he chooses money, no? The king has a lot of money already. Of course he chooses virtue. He could afford to say that. I like that joke so much that I keep telling everybody I know. (laughs) Now let's come to your dinner. Hmm? Two kinds of intelligence, the thing that you need. Two kinds of intelligence. This is a poem by Rumi. There are two kinds of intelligence. One, acquired as a child in school memorizes facts and concepts from books and from what the teacher says, collecting information from the traditional sciences as well as from the new sciences. With such intelligence you rise in the world, you get rank ahead Uh, or behind others. In regard to your competence in uh, retaining information, you stroll with this intelligence in and out of fields of knowledge, getting away more marks on your preserving tablets. There is another kind of tablet, one already completed and preserved inside you. A spring overflowing is spring box of freshness in the center of the chest. This other intelligence does not turn yellow or stagnate. It's fluid and it doesn't move from outside to inside, through the conduits of plumbing learning. This second knowing is a fountain head from within you, moving out. Which intelligence is that? The first one we all know, and we learn from school and teacher and books. The second one, what is that? Master, is that the true wisdom, the knowledge from within? The true wisdom. It's our real and true self. We have many names, of course. Any more innovative name for it? Creativity and intuition. Intuition, creativity? But that is a byproduct of the wisdom. Once we have this innate intelligence, which is the wisdom, then we have intuition, we have creativity as well. This is a kind of intellectual debate, and of course it's not very intriguing. You should have known already by the title that the first intelligence is the knowledge gained from books and from uh, social uh, tradition 
in the classroom, etc., etc. And the second is your wisdom, yes? Your original wisdom, your true knowledge. You're born with it. You're endowed with it. You are it. That's the true wisdom from God. The one that we have to meditate to get it. The one that we need to be initiated in order to awaken again, to explore inside, deeper into our true knowledge. And from this true knowledge, even sometimes we don't go to school, we still know many more things than the people who had a very high diploma. Because the knowledge that we gain from this world is not complete. It's not complete. It's okay just to add two and two, make four, that's it. But uh, for every other thing in the universe, we have to rely on our wisdom in order to know. For example, like when uh, I told you about the uh, four or five years' time, if we're not doing anything, then we'll be in trouble because the gas will be released from the ocean and uh, we will be poisoned. It will be in the air. So I already mentioned that. Because if only rising water, you can get a boat, you know, a yacht, if you're rich, or build one like Noah, or go live in a mountain, etc., etc., or go in the uh, helicopter and wait, or have a helicopter that even park on the water. There are airplanes and a helicopter which can land on water. Some people can afford it, and they may be able to kind of escape the danger of rising water, but not when we have poisonous gas in the air and all kinds. And that was before I know about the scientists' discoveries, say, the year 2012. Now we have scientific evidence and uh, support. So that's what it is. So that knowledge doesn't come from my school learning. No school have taught that. And I'm not like a scientist posee that I sit there or I calculate all these weather forecasts or I know about uh, all the agriculture or the ocean gas. I don't have time also to sit there and calculate by mathematics and come to that conclusion. I just know that from insight. And then later on, it turns out that I was correct. And since we have the scientific backup, then uh, we could go out to help, you know, disseminate this kind of information or go to help people. So I have to thank the scientists for this, because without their backup, I don't know if I can even tell you to go out to distribute flyers about uh, the climate change and all that. Every time they predict something, it did not happen. But I'm telling you why it did not happen either. More enlightened people in the world, more vegetarian people, more compassion, more helping each other, more loving kindness in the world, then this is powerful. It keeps pushing the negative power away, away from the edge, away from harm. And so the more we are doing our program right now, like having Supreme Master Television, broadcasting all the constructive news, and the more you distribute the flyers, more people become vegetarian, then, of course, the more stable 
the planet, weather and safety will be. That's where it is. Hello, Master. Um, uh, in these four months, I have a lot of uh, information that's come through me, the information about sound street vibration from different situations, like if you eat meat or if we are being mean to other people, we uh, create uh, low vibration mm -hmm. to others. And I wrote it down, like, mm -hmm. and, and it become like a little story. Yes, experience. Keep it to yourself. You yes. can tell us one of the story because they're curious, but that's it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, I write it like in the beginning what the, was the absolute and the abs in the absolute was nothing. So then uh, from the uh, absolute there is um, um spirale. Uh, from the spirale come out uh, the light and the sound stream and that was the first um, vibration. And everything in this universe is based on vibration because we are made from vibration. But I told you that already at the time yeah. of initiation. What's new? Oh, but you realize it yourself. Yeah, okay, yeah. Cool. It, it came out like a little story. In picture? In picture also, also mm. in a um, letter. In English? <laughs> mm, part in English, part in German, because ah. my German is better than English. Oh, so, so the universal power knows to write in German for you. Wow. Oh, amazing. What yeah, an intelligent. Have, okay, and and uh, anytime uh, information mm. come out, I myself is uh, um, surprised about mm. this information, mm -hmm. and, and I have fun with it. Just one of those things that you should know and you yeah. would know. You know, as you practice along, mm -hmm. the different information will come to you. Mm. I have fun with it. Thank you. Yeah. If you write book, maybe you won't have any more. Yeah, I know. Mm. Even I don't always tell everybody about everything. <laughs> I tell just a little bit what necessary. For example. The communication with animals, I even thought, should I? Yeah, but to save the animals, I did it. It's just a small portion, enough for the world to digest. For me, it's very interesting. Of course it is interesting. Yeah. Because it's not in this world what you know. Anytime I write something down, I will have uh, confirmation from other uh, author, mm. of also from your um, lecture. Mm. <laughs> These things, like the book or the story or the Bible experiences or the Bible uh, script, they came also from other practitioners in the old time. And normally it wasn't for the public. He probably wrote it down just like you wrote down. And after you die, somebody maybe collect it and make it into the story, a Bible or something like that. That's why we know all the information from the old time. Like the Buddha disciple go to which level of heaven, and Jesus went to what heaven and what he knew, and uh, Jesus disciple went to second heaven, hear the trumpet, uh, see the light. I give you like diary, and you write out your experience for yourself, so that you know how you progressed. And then if you die and somebody found it, and oh. Oh, she was a saint. My God, why didn't I know that? And then you become a saint. And maybe your story and her story, his story, and all that become a big Bible in the future. That's how the Buddha became more known to this day. That's how Jesus or Prophet Muhammad or Guru Nanak, a Jainist religious leader, have become more known to the world because of the script. The experience has been written by disciples that has proved their greatness. 
Otherwise, without the disciples' experiences, nobody knows what the Buddha is, how great can he be, if nobody knows what he did, or how his disciple has become enlightened, and to what extent. Therefore, it's like that. I tell you the story, okay? Yeah, about the the servant who who loved his prayers. It's from Rumi. Everything from his uh, poetry collection is good. At dawn, a certain rich man wanted to go to the steam bath. You know what steam bath is? You call it sauna. And you go in there and they they put a hot steam into your uh, cabinet, you know, you just stand in there and sweating it out. Okay? Or maybe they just have a hot bath, you know, like a Turkish bath or maybe Japanese bathhouse, like a swimming pool, but warm, and everybody go there, take a shower first, jump in, just like a swimming pool. Every country have this kind of similar, but a little bit different steam bath. At dawn, a certain rich man wanted to go to the steam bath. He woke his servant, Sinker, saying, Ho, oh, get moving, get the basin and the towers and the clay for washing, and let's go to the bath. So, Sinker immediately collected what was needed, and they set out side by side along the road. As they passed the mosque, the call to prayer sounded. They have certain time to pray, you understand? Five times a day the Muslim pray. So it happened that at dawn, this is one of the prayer times, probably the first prayer of the day, and the call for prayer sounded. Sankir loved his five times prayer, so he said to his master, Please, Master, rest on this bench for a while, that I may recite Surah 98, which begins like, You who treat your slave with kindness. <laughs> so he sat on the bench outside while Sankar went in. The prayers were over, and the priests and all the worshippers had left. But Sankar remained inside. So the master waited and waited and waited. Finally, he yelled into the mosque, Sankar, why don't you come out? So Sankar said, I can't. I don't know how. <laughs> This clever one won't let me. Have a little more patience. I hear you out there. Seven times the master called. Seven times he waited. And then he shouted again. And Sankar's reply was always the same. Not yet. He won't let me come out yet. 
And the master said, but no one in there except you. Everyone else has left. Who makes you sit still so long? So the servant said, the one who keeps me in here is the same one who keeps you out there. <laughs> the same one who will not let you in, that same one will not let me out. <laughs> now there's a comment from the author. It goes like this. The ocean will not allow its fish out of itself, nor does it let land animals in, where the subtle and delicate fish move. The land animal cannot come in. Yeah. May destroy the delicate fish or drown himself too. No? The land creatures lumber along on the ground. No cleverness can change this. There is only one opener for the lock of these matters. Forget your figuring, forget yourself. Listen to your friend. When you become totally obedient to that one, you'll be free. Nice story except we are not the master in there. It is really some revealing things. I thought all the people in that land must have been all Muslim, but this so-called master is probably not, hey? He sits next to the mosque, but he wouldn't go in. And his servant is the one who was so devoted. <laughs> and when... <laughs> When he's inside, probably he's too much, uh, how you say, happy with the Lord that he dare even, you know, answer back as his master, say, I'm still busy. <laughs> and arguing with him, the one that keeps me in here is the one who keeps you out there. <laughs> probably he means it's just like the fish and the animals, you know? How can the land animals go into the ocean to play with the fish or to do the same thing with the fish? It is probably two separate category altogether. This is old time when the servant system is still very prominent and strong. And mostly the servant would never disobey his master. Otherwise he will risk punishment or being sold elsewhere or something, even go to jail. And this servant because of his faith was so strong in Allah that he couldn't care less. When he's in the mosque, he meditates there, and probably he feels so good, so connected with the Lord, he might be one with the Lord, and he understood. And so he became like fearless, and that is the power of God. When you are contacted with it, you fear nothing. So the same... Uh, with what uh, I have shown you, yeah? The God power through the light and the sound. That is the representative of God, the light and the sound. That is God itself, different degree. Just like your feet, your knees, yeah? Your stomach, your throat, your face, it's all yours. Just different degree. So when you hear different sound and see different light, 
maybe from lower dimension or a little lower quality, then it's just the feet of the Lord, yeah? <laughs> a lower part. But it's a one part of the Lord. And then you come up, 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 and then you will see the complete picture. Now, the light and the sound resides within you, and that is you. It's you that you are listening to yourself and you're recognizing yourself. So the more you know this light and sound, the more you know the quality of God within you, the more you are detached from the physical body and all the things that belong to it and caused by it. Why seven times? More than seven times. Or maybe it's just seven times, just by the way, you know, it has nothing to do with how many times. What it means is he keeps repeating, he reject his master, just to show that he was so much deep in his prayers, yeah? He loved it so much to be one with God that he couldn't care less that his master was waiting outside. In the poem of Rumi, he used it as an excuse to write the poem, like a parable, you know? Say, okay, uh, oil and water don't mix. Even a slave who was so engrossed in his prayers and be one with God and the one who has so much money and can afford the time and don't even step in because some people are just not made for it. (laughs) No matter what, they sit next to the mosque, it doesn't affect him at all. And the, the slave just had to be in there or he cannot live. You see what I mean? And once he's in there, not because he loves the prayers only, but maybe because he was so connected with Allah. So he's so reluctant to leave such a connection and go in there just to take a towel for an ordinary mortal. Not like he tried to do it to prove that he's good or he's pious or he's so tough or he's brave, anything like that. He's just so connected. Probably he meditated, you know, very well in that time. So all he can do is answering. He cannot even move his body. Maybe his legs already no sense anymore. So it could happen like that, that he was sitting in prayer and he, he was deeply uh, in samadhi, yeah? So his knees, his legs gave in on him. He cannot stand up. That's why he said, the clever one wouldn't let me. Probably because he's so deep in samadhi, he cannot move his body yet. He did not do it on purpose. Only if you've been in Samadhi like that, then you understand what I'm talking about. Some of you, right? To some certain degree. Sometimes half of your body is numb, sometimes the whole body. And you can see, you can hear, you can talk, but you cannot gain control of your body so quickly. So he must have been very in a deep Samadhi, a deep state of trance. Because not all the Muslims are are ordinary Muslim, eh? some are maybe master or some, even in the form of a slave, maybe he's gone into very high consciousness because he has been initiated by some enlightened Sufis. Among us also there are some of you are different position in the society, yeah? And sometimes you're working as a clerk or even cleaner in the hotel or anything, but you are high level and nobody even knows. You are really virtuous and you are highly moral and you are highly elevated in spiritual uh, splendor. Nobody would ever know. Because the real you is not the one who cleaned the floor. <laughs> the real you is not the one who type this uh, computer every day. No, it's not the real you. Hmm? Hmm. 
So this slave could have been on a very highly elevated spiritual level, eh? Yeah, but his master would never know. I'm sure he treats him like a slave every day, and he don't care about that. He doesn't care how he's treated, because he knows his value. I'm sure he even hide it from the master. It's just at that moment, somehow, it's not planned like that. Probably he was in there and so deep in his prayer and meditation that he could not move. I'm sure he would not do that on purpose, trying to annoy his master for no reason. And probably this is not the first time he went in the mosque anyway. It just happened that that day um, that the master find out because they were together going to the bathhouse. See, this guy, he's a servant only, and he's so brave, huh? So everybody should learn from him, actually. At that time, servant is nothing, you know? The master can kill you, can sell you, can punish you any way he wants. They treat servant at that time like a commodity, like a possession, you know, like a piece of paper or your shoes or your clothes or sometimes even less. Yes, they don't dare to damage their, their clothes, you know, because they want to wear it, but the servants, sometimes they beat them up and treat them very badly, abusive. So for that guy to be so brave and answer back and forth to the Master seven times more like that, this is really something has been awakening him. So if the people in this world have this kind of bravery, I think we can all be fresh and the planet will be safe. By the way, how is it going, your Imbis? My sister's doing it at the moment. Uh-huh. We're doing one more festival next week. Is he doing good? It's finished with something. Yeah, the amazing mountain. I tell you, very easy. Like in America, we could even do a vegan hot dog. Very simple. In all this um, stadium where the football match or the school or any big festival, they sell like hotcake, I'm telling you. I was even thinking to go out and sell vegan hot dogs myself. <laughs> it's fun to see people eat what you offer and all vegan, you know, and tell them, ah, it's vegan, good for you. <laughs> and watch them enjoying the food that you offer. And watch them, you know, having uh, one meal less of, uh, of animals suffering. It's truly, you can see firsthand immediately the, the outcome of it. It must be very fun. And, Happiness. Full of customers. Yeah. They are vegan hot dogs, very nice, all kinds. Oh, I don't know why people have to eat meat nowadays. It's wonderful to be vegetarian. When I was vegetarian, it was a long time ago, and it was more difficult. People don't know what it is. I went to holiday with my ex-husband, and I had to eat just vegetable. You know, sometimes just toast and marmalade, and it tastes like heaven because nothing else is there. <laughs> but nowadays you can go anywhere, people understand what vegetarian is before they don't know. If you ask vegetarian, they just give you a bunch of salad and, <laughs> you know, that's it. Yeah, well, I cook, of course, it has to look good. <laughs> so the people feel that, okay, vegetarian is cool, fun. I deliberately make it look good. <laughs> Not just the food, but I decorate everything else as well, you know? A different, a little bit colorful and make it look fun. It should be like that in the family or when you have friends over or neighbors. When I was with my ex-husband, it's like that also. You know, candles and little flowers. 
It's not just the food that you eat. It's the atmosphere, it's the energy, it's the loving, you know, ambience. Yeah, and colorful and look festive. So I cook just very simple, but they look festive, or not? I wish you could see it in reality because sometimes the camera is not very good. I don't have light in the kitchen, not this kind of light. Yeah, I just cook sometimes under the neon lamp if it's late or if it's dark or in just natural light. Yeah, it depends on what time I cook. But the thing I cook is, you all can cook, it's so simple, you know? It's just you like to do it. And then you make it colorful and festive. Then it looks like very, very inviting and it's fun to cook or to eat. They all like it anyway. <laughs> festive or not. <laughs> they love it. Whenever I invite them in, they, they enjoy everything. Yeah. It's truly good also. It's not just talking about it because I I put just right amount of things, you know? And I make it look good. There was an African man from Morocco or something selling this thing, and he's old already. So he was laying on the bench like he's one of the tourists, and all his clothes were hanging on the wall of the beach. They separate the beach and the street. And I saw some, and I thought, okay, I'll buy some. Mostly if I see a man like that, I would buy something, if it's something that I could use. And sometimes I could not use, but I buy it and I give it to somebody else also. So I bought five of them, and he say, 100. I was very surprised. So I give him five euro more, and he say, wow, <laughs> thank you so much, only five euros, and he's so happy. So when I passed by him again, I took some biscuits from my car, gave it to him, and he said, oh, oh, he was so dancing, so happy, happy. Not because of the cake, I don't think, but because somebody's so kind. He said, oh, c'est trop gentil, c'est trop gentil. I mean, you're too nice, too nice. And he, thank God, <laughs> all over direction. <laughs> Some people are so humble. They're grateful at any hand wave on the tip of the head because they have not been treated nicely, you see. If he so used to it, kind treatment, he wouldn't have reacted like a child like that. That's why I gave it to him, because I know he appreciated it, and that will make him happy the whole day, or many more days. Now, Romy, continue to say a story of uh, a man looking for Sheikh Karakani. A certain dervish goes over the mountains and through a long valley. The young man arrives at the Sheikh's house and knocks. The Sheikh's wife sticks her head out. What do you want? The guy say, I come with the intention of seeing the sheikh. Oh, laughed the wife. Look at his reverence. Was there nothing to do where you live that you have to come on such an idle sightseeing expedition? She begins already her acid tongue. Do you hate your hometown, perhaps? 
or maybe Satan let you hear by the nose? And the man's patient, humble. I would like to see the sick. So the woman say again, Better you should turn around and go home. Hundreds of your kind have come like Israelites to rub their hands on this arrogant gold calf. Parasite, liquor of platers on the floor, heavy, slumbering, good for nothing. My goodness, she's cursing him all this. They say, oh, this is ecstasy. Oh, that is ecstasy. Oh, they forget any real religious ceremony and ritual prayers. Now we know. This sheikh happened to marry to some <laughs> religious fanatics or zealous. So anybody who doesn't do religious ritual or ceremony, she thinks they are crazy. So her husband is a crazy one, in her opinion. That's why anybody come and seek him, she curse them like this, or perhaps even more. This is a poem. So our <laughs> Master Rumi has politely <laughs> polished the word and choose the least offensive <laughs> to put in here. Otherwise, I don't know what else the woman have showered upon these poor pilgrims who happened to come to her door and looking for her husband. So the young man could not stand any longer. He said, What is this? I've been ambushed by a night patrol in full daylight. Your blitherings try to keep me from the presence of a holy man. But I know what light let me hear the same that turned the golden calf into words in a sacred story. A saint is a theater where the qualities of God can be seen. Don't try to keep me out. Puff on this candle and your face will get burned. Rather try blowing out the sun or fitting a muzzle on the sea. Oh, but like you often dream that the cave dark is everywhere but is not. My determination to be in that presence, I mean in the sick presence, is quick and constant. You won't stop or slow me. a revealer of mystery, and that which is revealed are the same. It means the sheikh is one with God. Sit, sowing, growing, harvest, one presence. The husk, O heck of a nagging word, should bow to that. <laughs> He's calling her a neck now and a bat, oh, bat even. <laughs> He's teaching her a lesson or two. He says should bow to the present of that saintly one, her husband. But she would not think of her husband like that. She's so used to him. And for her, he's only a husband, if any good at all of a husband. <laughs> so, now, Halaj said, 
I am God, and lived it out. What happens when the I disappears? What's left after? Not. Whoever scoffs at these questions and the experiences they point to, his arrogant spit comes back in his face. There is no spitting on the way we are on. Rain itself turns to spit on those who mock and casually show disrespect to saints. All this is his sermon to that terrible wife of the saints. It happens. Noah has such a son, and the saintly sheikh has such a <laughs> wonderfully out of this world wife. A similar story to Leo Tolstoy. They sometimes have this kind of dual, opposite attract in life. A saint is just somehow happened to be in the company of somebody who is not saintly at all. And remember, Malgalana has a mother like that, and Sekamoni Buddha has a close cousin like that. He's opposite of them. So the sheikh has this terrible wife. It's no surprise to us. So he keep telling her that the saint should be respected because this is the one who is one with God. He say it's just like the seed or the sowing, the growing, the harvest. They're all one. Yeah, they're all in the same category. Yeah. If you don't have the seed, you don't have the sowing, the harvesting, then you don't have the harvest either. So he says similar like that. The one who revealed the mystery and the revealed is one. I mean, the saint who shows God and that God is one. He was trying hard to tell the wife of this saintly sheik that her husband is a saintly one and is one with God, and she should respect him also because woe to whoever So disrespect to the saints. It will be like spitting on your own face. It will be harmful to yourself. So with that, he left the doorway and walked about asking in the town. Finally, someone said, The sheikh is in the forest collecting wood. So the young dervish ran toward the forest, but with a doubt in his mind. Why should such a sheikh Have such a woman for a wife. Hmm. Such an opposite. Such a Neanderthal. <laughs> God forgive my judgment. Who am I to judge? But the question remains. He has got forgiveness, but he still cannot forget the judgment about the Neanderthal woman. How could a teacher lie with this woman? Can a guide agree with a thief? Oh, he has a point. <laughs> Suddenly, Sheik Karakani appears, riding on a lion. <laughs> What a transportation! <laughs> Very green indeed. I'm sure he tamed the lion, and he's vegetarian too, like the one in Yogananda's book. Suddenly, Sheik Karakani appears, riding a lion. Firewood stacked behind him. His whip, a live serpent. He used a serpent as a whip, but he probably doesn't whip the lion. 
every sheikh rides a fierce lion, whether you see it or not. He means there could be also an invisible lion. Means he has conquered the the negative force, has conquered the fierce nature. The sheikh in the old time is a title bestowed upon somebody who is saintly, who is uh, enlightened. So, so he said here, every sheikh rides a fierce lion, whether you see it or not. Know this with your other eyes. Ah. Your other eyes. He said, even if you don't see a sheik riding a lion, you should know that. You should see it with your spiritual eyes. There are thousands of lions under your teacher's thighs, and all of them stack with wood. He realized some truth about that saintly person. <laughs> mean he has as his command anything he wants. Karakani knew the problem and immediately began to answer. Well, it is not out of desire that I put up with her. <laughs> he didn't ask anything. But the sheikh already knows what is in his heart, so he said immediately, Well, it's not out of desire that I put up with her. Don't think that. It's not her perfume or her bright colored clothes. And during her public disdain has made me strong and patient. Wow! I told you, people scold you, they're good for you. They cut in some of your ego. If you feel humiliated by someone, just thank God for that. Some people cannot bear it, I know that, even from a teacher or from parents. Look at Noah's son. He could not bear that because the ego is too strong and the negative power is too much in him. So we should not learn to be like that. Truly, one day, maybe when you get older, think of all the upheavals in your life, all the retribution that has uh, been thrown on your path. You will feel, oh, how lucky I have been to be trained with the merciful hand of heaven, so that I have become humble, uh, become nothing. Because in becoming nothing, you're becoming great. You become your true self. You're no pretentious, nothing to lose anymore. You're completely free, free of clinging to false pride and prejudice and pretentious reputation, whatever all that rubbish is. Anyway, so this sheikh, he's truly enlightened. <laughs> so he say it's not because he desire her or because he's pretty that he put up with this woman, but because he endure all that so that he can become strong and patient. She is my practice, he said. Nothing can be clear without a polar opposite present. Two banners, one black, one white, and between them something gets settled. Between Pharaoh and Moses, the Red Sea. The Egypt story, that is the thing that separates them, the opposite. 
Because if the army of Egypt did not run after Moses and his people, then he would have never experienced that miracle, the power that he has. The sea opened for them to cross and close it in front of their enemies, or even close the enemies within the sea as well. So, you consider issues, but not deeply enough. <laughs> it's just a critical mind, but don't understand the thing. Your spring is frozen. Faith is a-flowing. Don't try to forge coal iron. Study David, the ironsmith, and dancer and musician. Move into the sun. You are wrapped in fantasy and inner mumbling. When spirit enters, a man begins to wander freely, escaped and overrunning through the garden plants, spontaneous and soaking in. Now, that's a miracle story. He said, despite all this, it doesn't matter to him because he's free inside. It's like a man, you know, when the spirit enters him, he begins to wander freely, escape and overrunning through the garden plants, spontaneous and soaking in. I mean, he's bathing in God's love and grace and bliss. He's oblivious to whatever, the trouble of the world. Not to talk about wife of his, you know. <laughs> no matter what she says, he takes it as a training, as a practice of humility and patience. And that's how he became great. It's just like a piece of useless iron has to be burned into hundreds of degrees of heat in order to soften and then be beaten relentlessly until that piece becomes something useful. And even not yet completely. You have to really sharpen it until we become a truly cutting knife. And even then, every day you still have to sharpen a little bit here and there. Hence, daily meditation. So, sometimes people complain like this and that person keep telling me what to do and I don't like it. Just like it. Just do it. If it's uh, correct, then do it. And never mind your mood. If it's not correct, then just tell her, I'm sorry, give me another job. Something like that. And be thankful in your heart that somebody sharpened your knife. <laughs> Thank you so much, and I hope you enjoy the story. Thank you, Rami, as well for leaving us such a treasure. A good book is hard to find already. Good poem is hard to find already. Good spiritual, nourishing, and uh, morally replenishing is even harder to find. This kind of books uh, we could read all the time. It will just foster more our spiritual endeavor, foster love and humility, understanding, patience. It's a very good book, good poem. She loved you so much. And she said, please make me a favor. Tell your master how much I love her. Oh. So.
she says her spiritual school is very, very high. I told her that her heart is leading, is showing her the way. Thank you. I will tell her. She'll be very, very happy. It's the same. They also practice light and sound. She is very high-ranked in the organization in Greece, but she loves you so much that mm. she says, I've never felt this kind of love for anyone. Some people know it. She doesn't know it. Not that I told them, they know. Some people in that organization know. That's why she loves me, because I'm there. She considers you her master. She's doing it as a habit, because she's doing it for 12, 15 years. Tell her we are one. I and that organization is one. Don't worry about it. I take care of it just the same.